1: So, hey, everybody. Welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. D'Angelo, can you hear me? Okay, folks, I'm having a little audio problem in terms of feedback, but apparently you can hear me. So, let me hear about Frank and Rachel. Are you on the line? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, um, I will work with what I got, okay? Uh, you sound Okay. Um, and you're going to sound better. So, so hey everybody, welcome to Voices from the Frontlines and we're very excited about today's show, which is going to be basically about the Cold War Truth Commission. And I'm here with Frank Durrell and Rachel Bronke, who are the co-chairs of this very important event that's going to be happening this Sunday, March 21st, starting I believe at 1, going to 9.00. I'll be on at 6, and I'm very happy to be included in it. Uh, during this whole talk, and we are going to go to the phones at 818-985-5735, around 345, uh, I would begin with Frank and Rachel about what's going on. I just want to do a couple of thoughts ahead of time, if that's okay, and then I'll get to both of you. Is that, a, is that an okay deal? Si, sí, senor. Okay, see, Senora is good. Um, it's hard for me, you know. It's called Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show. I'm deeply moved by this Cold War Truth Commission, and I, and I that's where I want to spend most of my energy. I'm doing a lot of thinking about it. The particular things I'm thinking about is the phenomenal success of the anti-black, anti-third world, anti-communist counter-revolution that has taken place throughout most of U.S. history. It is a counter-revolutionary country by its very definition. You know, when we use the term white, imperialist, settler state, police state, anti-communist state, these are... uh, derisive terms, derisive terms, but they're actually scientific, unfortunately. That is the very nature of this country. It was built on reaction. and So I work with the Bus Riders Union. Mm. Uh, We had a wonderful uh, block party this weekend. Uh, Had about 50 people came, and the 50 right people came, you know, about people from Uh, Marcy Winograd and others from Code Pink, and we had people from Black Lives Matter. We had people and a lot of our own members. And we talked a lot about uh, vaccine imperialism and what's happening in Africa where the drug companies, AstraZeneca and Merck and Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, are profiting from the uh, produce production of the vaccine, which wouldn't even be bad if their profits were minimal and the public benefit was maximum, but they're refusing to allow the production and distribution of other vaccines in Africa, and they're using so-called intellectual property laws to deny the vaccines in Africa, which is going to lead to mass death and, and mass murder. So that's the world in which I live, uh, thinking about lots yeah. of things and not always having the capacity to impact them as much as I'd like. On the positive, if you went to the corner of King and Crenshaw, you would think it might be a uh, mirage, but you would see the strategy and Soul movement center, a beautiful force storefront, contiguous Movement center with a state of the art film theater which we had twenty five people in it it normally holds a hundred, but we were very carefully social distancing and we were ma- able to get twenty five people to have a wonderful conversation and we talked about the world you know we talked about what's happening to black people in l a we talked about the u s efforts to overthrow the government of Venezuela we talked about building the Bus Riders Union, we're talking about art and culture and the kind of things that I like to talk about. So the last intro I'll tell you was that on March 25th, which is a Thursday, it's the third Thursday of the month, I believe, the MTA has its board meeting. And I urge you to go to info at the strategy center.org because we're going to be in, involved in a fight to stop the MTA from increasing its police budget, to call for the cancellation of that police budget altogether, to talk about no police on the buses and trains, no police on the schools, zero emission buses, stop MTA attack on black passengers, and no cars, no way. All of that, which is very exciting, It's not going to be that possible if we don't rebuild a movement that challenges the Cold War and its myths. And in that, I'm really happy to have Frank and Rachel on with us today. And thank you so much for this uh, initiative. Why don't you start with where did the vision come from? It's very exciting, and we want all our listeners to be tuning in for the whole event so, maybe Frank and uh, Rachel, you'll start with just the facts of when is it? How do people find it? And then the first question is how did you come up with this great idea?
2: Frank, why don't you tell people uh, wh- how they can find it, and then I'll come okay. up with the uh, how it began.
3: Okay, if people are listening out there right now on KBFK, the Eric Mann, go to Google um, Code Pink. Cold War Truth Commission, um, they can, it, they'll they come to the link where they can register for our event, which is happening this Sunday. It starts at 1, 1 p.m., uh, our time, Pacific Coast time, and it's a long event. It's going to go to 8. We've got so many testifiers and everything happening. Eric's one of them. But once again, to, to get the link to sign in, to register, Google code Pink Cold War Truth Commission, and you'll find the link there you can click in and, and join us on uh Sunday and it'll also be on YouTube if we run out capacity on the zoom it will be uh people can go to uh, YouTube and watch it on youtube live
1: well that's terrific, and we're going to try to do everything we can to publicize it. We did it today as you saw uh, if you saw the flyer for the show yes, I just sent it out to my list right now all right you're great frank uh right. And but
3: Rachel yeah. wants. To, Rachel tell you this is Rachel is her thing. She came up with this whole thing. She can tell you how and everything. She did it first three years ago at a church in downtown LA. But Rachel, you tell everybody.
2: Okay. So um, thanks for having us on, Eric. Uh, we're just we're really excited that this has taken on uh, the life that it has. You know, it feels kind of like a political Woodstock. Everyone's just really celebratory about their ability to to tell their truth and and get this huge huge issue out there in a a way that maybe has never been done or at a time definitely that we definitely need to be doing it. First of all I'd like to say what you know you talked about so many problems in the world and the basic premise of all of this is that it didn't have to be this way. Um, We had such an opportunity after World War II, the whole world looked at the European powers and looked at the United States and basically said, you're crazy. We're going a different way. And they tried to, and we wouldn't let them. And so so much of the dysfunction and the trauma in the world today was the absolute wrong turn we took after World War II. Of course, and we're going to make the argument and we're going to provide testimony into the record and evidence that, of course, the Cold War um, started way, way before even... um, even World War II, and, and it's, uh, it's a philosophy, really. <laughs> it's a war between two philosophies. So the way the actual Cold War Truth Commission came around is uh, a lot. I've, I've always been a uh, Cold War skeptic. Uh, my dad uh, in World War II was a Nazi hunter, and so I grew up with anti-fascist stories, stories. Um, Basically, I lived in the time of Central America, the wars against, you know, the Reagan wars against Central America was my Vietnam. I was a high school and college student at the time. So I've always been very skeptical um, of the Cold War. I lived in Central America and South America after the dirty wars, after the wars. And, you know, I could see how wrong we were. And so fast forward to around uh, 2017, Trump had just been uh, elected, you know, there was this huge rise in activism. And I remember vividly listening to the Ralph Nader, uh, radio hour and he had someone on and they were talking about the big lie, the big lie. And they thought, they said, how do we counter the big lie? And I thought to myself with the big truth and the big truth has always been for me, the the cold war and the absolute, um, kind of war between two development models do you go the way of competition and you know raping of the planet do you go the way of cooperation and increased democratic participation what are the two ways of organizing ourselves in the world are we going to have and um, you know we we try to crush the left but I think as Che, Che Guevara might have said you know For example, you can crush Latin America, but you cannot digest her. You can can try and crush this this movement, this truth, but it's going to come out. So we started the Cold War Truth Commission. We had our first event. It's on um, the Internet, and we'd love everyone to see it. It also was a day-long event. It was quite humble, but um, Frank was there from the beginning, comrade from the beginning. Um, And we got our first endorsement. I don't know if he knew he was giving it, but um, from Oliver Stone when he called it a great idea and ideologically right on. So, um, we had personal testimony. We had torture survivors um, from Guatemala. We had academics and experts and, you know, we just had a variety. We had public testimony, people coming up to the microphone, speaking their truth. We also had people who had sent in written testimony that we read into the record and so even though you know it's a star-studded event this time on Sunday we want to keep the the flavor that it is a it is a public testimony it is a a public uh, plea to to hear this truth and that we hope gets out to a lot a lot of america and i'll tell you that i have emails i know frank probably does too we're getting we're getting emails and interest from around the world because of course it's it's a world war that we've been in
1: well, I think that's really great, Rachel, and that, you know, there's so much to talk about. I mean, the, you know, I've been doing a lot of work. Well, first of all, just congratulations. I think this is really important. And then, you know, for, for myself, who works primarily in South Central Los Angeles, works primarily in black and Latino communities, um, the, you know, in some way the film, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is another important factor that uh, there were people like Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, who were the transition between the black movement and certainly a third world pro-communist point of view. Um, You know, in my talk, I'm still working on it, but I'm just going to tell you a couple of my thoughts on the talk to respond to your terrific opening, which is, um, you know, I think the first thing I think we would all agree on is that I, I think that the Cold War, you know, began in 1492 with the invasion of the Americas, because that's when the, essentially the war between European Christian imperialist barbarism and any hope for an advanced civilization began, and the imperialists have been winning that war ever since. Um, and then there were the beginnings of the armed, uh, the conscious and armed resistance from the Iroquois Confederacy, you know, uh, to the uh, Haitian Revolution of 1792 with Toussaint Louverture, to But It did take, uh, you know, it took the Communist Manifesto, it took 1848 before there was the first coherent international theory that said there's an alternative to this and that we're going to build this movement. And we're going to build a movement explicitly against capitalism, and that's, you could say, when the Cold War, another time when the Cold War began. Uh, But I think an important time about the Cold War was 1917 with the birth of the Russian and Soviet Revolution, because then, for the first time, there was a break in the imperialist hegemony in the world. There was an alternative, and as you know, thirteen different European countries, including and Asian, is including Japan, invaded the Soviet Union just because the Soviet Union wanted to get out of World War I at first and, of course, wanted to create the beginning of a socialism. And I think one of the stories that has to be told is that the, the U.S. has really not allowed any kind of real socialism to breathe that needs to really crush it in every single form. And partly what's wonderful about what you're doing this weekend and what we're doing is saying that these ideas must breathe, and these ideas must be given a chance to get out to a larger audience, which is so exciting about what you're doing. But what do you think about, uh, any thoughts about my short history of the Cold War?
2: Well, uh, a couple of things I'd like to just say is, one, you talked about um, you know, 1917. People don't know the chronology of of the history and the leading up to the larger Cold War. You know, starting in the in the late 40s, and and when they know, they care. I'm a high school teacher, and I can tell you that the the hearts and minds of young people are so fair. And when you lay out facts to them, I teach Central America. I teach about Central America. They absolutely get it. The unfairness of it. So. What one thing we're just trying to do right now is just simply lay out these facts, and it's it was also perfect timing now. But in two thousand seventeen, it was the hundred year anniversary of the Russian Revolution. That's right. But one of the one of the things, and and then I'll turn it over to Frank. But one of the things that we're going to be doing at the at the Truth Commission on Sunday is reading out um, FDR's Second Bill of Rights, and we did a, at the first one too. And we're basically making the argument: How is this that? that this document, these ideas, almost became law of the land. And yet Bernie Sanders, 75 years later, 70 years later, isn't even allowed to be our candidate. What happened in between those years? And it's the Cold War. It just turned everything, like you say, anti-socialist.
1: Well, I... uh, uh I'll just let you keep going for a while, and uh, and that's great, Frank. What what are your thoughts about the event and significance, as an organizer? You know, you know, I'm greatly appreciative of everything you do, Frank. And uh, what do we want to get out of this? What would what would victory look like for you?
3: Well, I think information, uh, all of what we're talking about, what you guys are talking about, and and what all the people that are be testifying at our event, ab- like about the Cold War, but it's about it's about U.S. imperialism. It's about uh, what our foreign policy has re- really been about. And I, I just will tell the listeners, In not, around 1980, I had a job at USC as a driver, and uh, I didn't know anything about any of this. And I discovered, I drove all day long, and I discovered KPFK all by myself, <laughs> I was just changing the channel around. And at 2 o'clock on Mondays, I discovered Alan Watts. So every, Tuesday, every uh, Monday at 2 o'clock, I put on KPFK. And then one Monday, I left it on, they were having a fun drive, and they were playing Noam Chomsky, talking about U.S.-supported death squads in El Salvador. Hmm. And that was the beginning for me, uh, Eric. I started listening to KPFK all the time, and I started getting this history of what our country's been doing, and, because you don't hear this anywhere else. You just don't hear it in the mainstream or even in public radio, PBS. But on KPFK, they bring on people, many people that are going to be at our event, um, you know, speaking, testifying, who I heard on KPFK the first time, talking about, what what US foreign policy was really about, which was murderous, murderous, barbaric, uh, killing people in their own countries who hadn't done anything. And I I just, you know, that was the beginning for me. And now all these years later, um, thanks to KBFK and thanks to Rachel, (laughs) we're doing this event, which is going to, you know, be putting this out there. And not that it isn't out there in some forms, but you're always trying to get it out there more. And I think the idea is, to reach more and more people, to reach more young people, but to reach more everyone who doesn't know because we do live the big lie in this country. And the big lie is not just that Trump was saying that he won election. That's a lie. He's a big liar. But the big lie is what our country has done to people around the world that most Americans don't know. It's been kept from them. And uh, anyway, so our event is going to be revealing all this, so much of this. And we're excited uh, about all the great people we're going to be having, including you, Eric, and so many other big names. And once again, if people Google Code Pink, which is one of our co-sponsors, um, Cold War Truth Commission, they they'll come up with the uh, link. They can register, and we're getting a lot of people doing it already. So we're really yeah, excited I'm
1: about, about it. I'm, I hope I registered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I know myself <laughs> because. The, uh, hey, Eric, at, can, at I, our, can I? See Mm -hmm. Go ahead, ahead, please, Rachel.
2: Yeah, so I want to say uh, a couple of things. Uh, One, about reaching people, but also I just want to give a shout-out to Frank. Um, We've known each other for 20-something years, and one of the reasons I know and care so much about foreign policy is his amazing film, um, What I Learned About U.S. Foreign Policy, The War Against the Third World. So that's on on youtube it's it's uh, right frank it's it's up it's free it's just yeah. an incredible incredible source of information and and he's talking about how he got his start i just want to give a shout out to frank that you know his film was was phenom- is is phenomenal um, a couple of
1: well things, rachel just know, stay people, there a minute cuz mm-hmm. you know frank i actually haven't seen it yet i'm going to see it before well, sunday i will say it again the name of it rachel please
2: uh, Okay, uh, or Frank, um, it's called the, Frank, you want to say it?
3: It's, it's what I've learned about U.S. foreign policy, the war against the third world. Got it. And I made it first in 2000 with the help of Ralph Cole, who's well-known here. Or oh, in
1: of course area. I know Ralph.
3: And Ralph, and, and what I did is I I took excerpts from films and documentaries and speakers, and I edited them together with my editor, and some of this, a lot of stuff came from Ralph, and, and back then it came out, and um, it was ten segments. It's in segments. Ten segments. The first segment being Martin Luther King talking against the war in Vietnam. The last segment being S. Brian Wilson, you right. know, who's going to be one of our uh, presenters on uh, Sunday, and everybody between Ramsey Clark and Amy Goodman and and um, John Stockwell, XCA, Phil Agee, XCA, and and an extra twenty minute extra from the Panama Deception and cover-up Behind the Run Contra Fair, both made by Barbara Trent. The Panama Deception won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. Right. Those are two of the best documentaries uh, I've ever seen. Anyway, a lot of other information is in my film, and we've updated it. In 2015, we updated it and added three more segments. And it's online, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll send it to you, uh, Eric, so to watch. It's really quite an education. It's not like I'm a real filmmaker. I edit it together from other sources, but it's really uh, brilliant. And what happened is Rachel was in a bus in Cuba, and she emails me 20 years ago. I didn't know her. She emails me and says, We're watching your film on the bus. <laughs> and, and once again, I made the film for people to get information, just like our event on Sunday is information to learn the, the big lie. We live here, and people need to know it. How can people. Work to change it if they don't know about what our country's done. And of course, once again, I always have to say I learn from listening. to KPFK is where I learn from.
1: Well, yeah, I I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult because um, I think one of the problem. First of all, I totally agree with everything you're doing and and saying. And that one of the problems is that a lot of people in this country have been uh, they are. This is just my view. Uh, I don't think a lot of people in this country are misled. I think a lot of the people, primarily the majority of white people, but unfortunately in an imperialist country, it goes even deeper than that, they have an ideological belief that is not simply uh, being so-called brainwashed, that the United States has the right to kill people. I mean if you look at almost all the CIA films on TV you know they go into the into the third world and they kill people and they they say I'm getting the bad guys and there's a lot of rooting for the killing of the so-called bad guys and I think uh in the in the in the uh in the 60s which is what I'm going to talk about you know Sunday night is what was exciting back then is there was a period of tremendous Revolutionary challenge led by the black movement, right? And I was at the SDS war against, uh, SDS demonstration against the war in Vietnam in April of 1965. And we were all part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. We were all part of CORE, Congress of Racial Equality. And we were all part of Students for Democratic Society. And when Bob Moses got up from SNCC and said, we have to fight segregation in Mississippi and defoliation in Vietnam. And I have Stone said, you need to know that you can't trust your government. And Stoughton Lin said, if you think the war is wrong, you have to put your body on the line. And Paul Potter said, we must name the system, that it's a system. And if we don't fight the entire system, there's no hope. But of those 25,000 people, the vast majority of them were organizers. And they were civil rights organizers already. They were anti-war organizers. And one of the things the Strategy Center is trying to do is build this national leadership school for strategic organizing and get an event like what's happening Sunday night in or all day Sunday into the hands of organizers Who, if their consciousness is changed, can go out and talk to their entire groups and say, We got to see Frank's Mm -hmm. film, or I'm sure we'll be able to replay the entire event from YouTube, right? I mean, it'll be up on YouTube after the event. So I think we want to use Sunday as you could say the opening act in a long play that keeps staying on Broadway for a very long time.
2: Yes. and to to speak to that we have the disadvantage is that everything's in crisis the advantage is that everything's in crisis right. i mean we can we can think that you know karl marx is is going to is laughing from the grave that we really care about materialism right now we really care about the material world because from climate to housing, to food security, to, you know, everything, it's falling apart. And so, or, you know, it feels like it is in many ways. And so we need to be able to have a, again, from my first point, I'm, I'm trained as an environmental resource engineer, so I really come at it from a, like, nuts and bolts perspective. We really need a development model, a working model of how to organize ourselves that, that works both for the climate and for people. And and that way is not the way that supposedly won out in 1991 with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Right. That, you know, the world is worse than ever. And so we need a working model. And that model has been, you know, in many ways, like you say, the model we've been crushing.
1: Let me ask you this, Rachel. And, and the of, the, the voices you're hearing, by the way, just for a minute, Rachel. You're on KPFK. Yeah. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. It's a show on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at KPFK. Now, just for a minute, our show is also, because you're listening to now, if you are, which we appreciate so much, it's every Tuesday from 3 to 4, but... It's also going to be, it's, it's uh, thanks to Kiana Williams, who works with us, and many of you know her from Feminist Magazine. Uh, it's going to be up uh, 24 hours later on uh, as a podcast. So it's going to be on SoundCloud. It's going to be on Spotify. It's going to be on Apple. Uh, it's going to be on a lot of different vehicles, and I hope that, first of all, you might listen to it again and get your friends to listen to it as a podcast because that's one way we can extend. The second thing is we put out this terrific email the the day of the show, Channing Martinez and I, that I assume Rachel and Frank got. Frank gets it. Uh, If you go on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, just register and you'll get a weekly email then you also get the podcast link uh, 24 hours after the show uh, so you can listen to it again or you can send it to a lot of your friends. So we're trying to take this very important show and, um, and expand its impact. That's the whole concept. Uh, Rachel, I want to ask you a question. Um, what do you think w- the Cold War... It's not just a war between capitalism and socialism, as you know, but it's a war between imperialism and communism at its core. What do you think are the uh, advanced, elevated thoughts about communism, its positive contributions to your concerns about the environment, ecology, and human life? What do you think are your own concerns about it? And because if it's a cold war between imperialism and communism, at least for me, I would argue communism has proven to be a superior system with all its many, many problems. But I think that's got to be one of the things that's faced squarely in the conversation. I'm just interested in how you and Frank think about it. Um, okay. I'll...
2: Frank, you, wanna go or you want to go? you Rachel, you got it. Okay. So one and and I wanna in, in answering this, maybe highlight a couple of the speaker of the testimonies we're gonna be having. Uh what is, one is Ed Rampel, he's a film historian, put on a great um kind of recreation of the HUAC hearings about four years ago. He's going to be speaking on HUAC and I and I love his his perspective. He says, you know, when people are being accused of being communists in the in the film industry, in the entertainment industry, the answer always was No, they're not. No, they're not. And he says, yes, they were. A lot of them were, and they actually enriched the culture. And so, you know, make sure you you hear his testimony, because that should be the argument. You know, at at our first uh, truth commission, we made these signs, and and Frank, maybe we can figure out how to do this for this one. But the sign said, Fellow Traveler E.K." and you could hold it up and kind of do a selfie and say, yeah, I'm a fellow traveler and what of it and, and stop apologizing, stop running from it. Um, I've been going for over 20 years to to Cuba and, and, you know, when you get there, you don't become like a fellow traveler or a communist or a socialist. You kind of realize you always were, you're like, wait a second. And it really (laughs) demystifies all of this language. And you know, I, I've taken, I used to work for Global Exchange, I, I uh, coordinated the Eco-Cuba Exchange Program, and um, so I've taken hundreds of Americans down, and, and they all have the same reaction about, you know, my my God, uh, we're so unfair to this country, and it's not what we've been told all along. And so, um, and I would I would extend that. When I first went down, I realized not only was it not true about Cuba, but therefore, by extension, we were participating in killing, you know, 400,000 people around Latin America in the name of keeping them from being like Cuba. So, you know, again, um, the youth, and that's who I work with, um, the youth are just not afraid of these terms, and and they just, uh, we all need our problems solved. Um, Can can I say one thing, just so I don't forget, is that if you do uh, register, and please register and come, we're really asking And and do us a favor, because we can't do it all, and this is all kind of a group project, but um, uh, we want high school to know about this. We have a youth component, um, and youth will be the privileged class at this event, Hmm. and they are the only ones that get open mic, and so um, we're welcome to come along. They will be all of our readers. will be young people, and right now I have a daughter in 11th grade, so I know this, but they're covering the Cold War all throughout California and maybe the world, like right now. And so as much as people can, reach out to to high school uh, history teachers, 11th grade, and and let them know. Um, secondly, we're asking people before they, they come on to call their congressperson and let their congressperson know that they're going to be at this event, and they invite them or a staff person. And, um, you know, if these congressional people are really afraid of what happened on January 6th and they're wondering... You know how to get to this point? Well, we we feel that these peop the people who are testifying are going to have a lot of answers.
1: No, I think that's great. I hope I could just respond a little, and then I'll go to you with the same question, Frank. I mean, I think what what you know, my talk Sunday night is going to be, uh, in that the United States said that anti-communism was what's required. We became pro-communist and even communists as we investigated. So. If they say Du Bois is a communist, Martin Luther King is a communist, Malcolm is a communist, the people in Vietnam are communists, the Cubans are communists, the Chinese are communists, the Russians are communists, the communists are rising all over the world. They want to redistribute the wealth. They say the United States is a racist country. We have to stop them. You know, they want to uh, make sure everybody has enough housing and, and food, and you're not going to be able to have a lot of wealth by yourself. You have to share things. And the more I heard it, I said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And, but then the second thing was the the horrible pain that they inflicted. I mean, I was, I'm a Jew, and when um, I remember when they started uh, trying the Rosenbergs. My mother was uh, livid, just livid. And my dad was anti-communist, and I don't remember what role he played. Because he was anti-fascist, but anti-communist. But my mother said, they were, Eric, they're doing this because they're Jews. And mm. what's the worst thing they did? The worst thing they did is they try to give some information to the Soviet Union. What's wrong with that? The United States dropped a bomb on Hiroshima. And mm. the idea that two Jewish people who refused to... Uh, confess. Uh, And all along, if I could just take another minute, that and everybody kept saying, they're innocent, they're innocent. But the irony is when you study the actual story, large numbers of people in the Los Alamos project understood that what was supposed to be a weapon used against Nazi Germany was going to be a weapon used against the Soviet Union. And large numbers of people who were uh, thought we're in an alliance with the Soviet Union against Nazis, came to see that the atom bomb was really a weapon against communism and had no intention of being used against German fascism. So a decent person could have said, I'd like the Soviet Union to get this information, not against the United States, but so the United States does not drop a nuclear bomb on the Soviet Union. But the question I'm getting to, is at each point we were told that the answer is to deny one's innocence. But what if the person did a good thing? You know what I mean? What if the communist, in fact, did a good thing?
2: Hmm. Go figure. Frank?
3: Well, Rachel, why don't you tell uh, Eric in the audience what you told me this morning about who they're going to have on the show, speaking about the Rosenbergs yeah on our, pro, uh, our on our uh, event on sunday
2: yeah we we just uh found out today that we're confirmed to have michael mirapol uh the son of julius and ethel rosenberg giving testimony at the event so thank you for bringing the rosenbergs up of course and frank, i i'm gonna just say one thing quickly yeah, and then frank please answer but that's what that's the irony that's that, that I see all the time, I, and, I, and I say, you know, my values are, I've been red-baited all our, my life. Right. Probably most of the listeners have. Well, I grow food, I work with kids, I help in international development, I help in my community. Like, I do all of these things, and if that's a communist, then it's not the communists that have a lot of answering to do. It's the anti-communists in America, If the person I am is what they say I am, then they have a lot of answering to do on their side.
1: Well, I think what's important as we go to Frank is that what was really great about it is how defiant we were in the 60s. You know, when Eugene Genovese said, I do not fear a Viet Cong victory, I welcome it. And we took heat for it. But just what you said, if you say that's what you don't like about me, I like myself. Sorry. I'm not. You're the (laughs) one who has to answer. Frank, you've worked so hard. You know, I know every day you're putting stuff out. I read all you. I'm one of your big readers, Frank, all your nice blue, uh, interesting (laughs) text. I read almost everything you put out. Thank Um, you. What keeps you going?
3: Well, just knowing that this big lie we're talking about uh, that our country has done trying to get others to see it, because I don't believe it can be ever stopped until more and more people understand. Because we, 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 the propaganda here is that the United States is an you know, exceptional country, and yes, and I have to say there are a lot of good things here. I've had a pretty good life, and a lot of people have a pretty good life here. And They don't, you know, they worked hard, and they have a house or an apartment, and they, you know, have one or two, three cars and food to eat and all these things and freedom. But they don't understand what we've done, our country, our military, the CIA, our system has done to Millions of people around the world, which, once again, I didn't know anything about until I discovered KPFK. So what keeps me going is continuing to get, try to get people to look at this. Amazingly, most people don't want to really see it because it's not what they've known. But, you know, with the Internet and all the films that have been made and all the books that have been written and all these great people we were having at our event on Sunday at our Cold War Commission event. And I want to name some of the names. Besides you, Eric, we're having on Jim Lafferty from KBFK. And we're having Medea Benjamin, who's co founder of Code Pink. Yeah. We're having Daniel Ellsberg, who uh, released the Pentagon Papers. And Kathy Kelly, who's an incredible uh, human rights actress who's lived in Iraq and in Afghanistan and all these other countries. We're having S. Brian Wilson, who we made the film about, which you came to, Eric. Yes. And we're having uh, David Swanson. His group is a war. A uh, uh, World Beyond War, and Norman Solomon, and Peter Phillips a, a product Censored, Jeff Cohen, and, and the list goes on. Colonel Ann Wright, Father Roy Bourgeois, the School of America's Watch, and I could go on and on. I'm just naming some of the people I've never seen in all my years of an, being an activist. This many incredible people, and there's lots of others I haven't named, and lots of people that aren't as well-known. But still, the, the overall pe- the group of people we have, I've never seen in any place before, at one place, uh, and when people go to the link, they can uh, they can see all of the other people uh, testifying on Sunday at one o'clock. And once again, go to Code Pink, Code Pink, and then go Cold War Truth Commission, and you'll get find the link to register. I want to throw in a little uh, plug for our daughter Emily, who worked for Code Pink uh, for the last year and a half, and we're pretty excited about this. And she's going to be along with Mary Miller. They're going to be running the Zoom on Sunday, which is going to be really a big project to do because we've got so much happening, you know. So,
1: well, congratulations that your daughters were going through-
3: and it's just an opportunity. I like to be speaking on KBFK today and and trying to get more people to see this, uh, all this. Uh, thanks to you, Eric and KBFK, and thanks to Rachel and everybody.
1: Well, we're Get going to be working on our
3: today's one, one of our Jody, sponsors.
2: Jody Evans also. Jody Evans is an expert. She uh, Code Pink, of course, co-founder, and she's an expert oh, yeah. on China. She will be uh, breaking down the, the history and the today of the Cold War against China. So Code Pink is, you know, has uh, definitely uh, been such a part of this. And you know, just have to give a shout-out to def- people behind the scenes, so the tech crew, these young ladies working it.
1: Well, several things. I mean, I definitely want to hear Jody Evans and the uh, – Several like Barbara and Holland from our group. What's happening is people are already. We're getting it out to our teams. They're saying, "Oh, I want to be at the. I'm going to listen at one o'clock. Oh, so and so speaking at seven o'clock. I got to be on that one." So one thing <laughs> is the value of looking at the program. Yes, is if you commit, you know. I mean, certainly two or three hours on a Sunday. You don't have to do it uh, consecutively. You can. And then the other thing is just check out everybody because at some some point you really do want to hear the whole program and the fact that it will go up on YouTube. I mean, I just want to talk about uh, China for a minute. I don't know what Jody's going to say, but I'm sure I assume we'll be pretty aligned. That uh, Also, if if anybody is interested, if you listen to voices from the front lines and you go up on our website, Listen to the interview conversation I had with uh, Yuko Babu, the head of the Pan-African Film Festival, because we had a long talk, actually, in the middle of everything about the positive role China is playing in Africa, especially compared to U.S. imperialism and the slander about that. But just one very basic fact uh, for our listeners is that You know, obviously, like the rest of the world, China was colonized, and it was colonized by the British and the French, and then the United States came in, and I remember when I was taking a course called uh, The Tragedy of American Diplomacy, I heard that the open door policy, which sounded so great, was the United States demanding an open door into China against England and France. It wanted its cut of China. So when the Chinese Revolution happened, and of course it was always the communists who fought the fascists in World War II, it was China who played the major role in defeating Japan on the Chinese mainland. And that's why the Chinese came to power uh, as the victorious revolution, because it was an anti-colonial revolution against Japanese imperialism. But to fast forward to today, One fact that people don't want us to know is that the United States first forced China into the WTO, forced China into all these international imperialist uh, economic units, and now China is eating the U.S. lunch, and China is outperforming in every single arena of technology. So now Biden and Harris are talking about how the Chinese are stealing our secrets When in fact, China stole, I should say, well, the United States tried to steal China itself. And now that China is taking back its own self determination. And as I said in one of the articles somebody wrote, uh, his name is Jeffrey Sachs. He's a scholar of a lot of international phenomena. He said, well, the United States is going around with 5G, China's already at 8G. And the United States can't accept that someone could beat them so-called fair and square in the international arena. So I look forward to Jody's talk and it, because the mm-hmm. Biden-Harris administration is planning to go to war now with China and Russia. It's clearly yeah. stated all the people they've hired in the State Department, all the people are hawks. And Biden yeah. is a Cold War hawk. So this is not yeah. abstract in that we're going to have to, just like we built the... A movement against the Kennedy and Johnson Cold War. We're going to have to build a movement against the Biden-Harris-Obama Cold War because they are world imperialists. That's who they are, and they have every intention of conquering the world to the point where it was um, Obama who said, let's remember the United States is a Pacific power, which is just the ultimate in hubris what do you both think on that? I want to make sure you got some of the last thoughts, but I just wanted to respond to that.
2: I'll just go real quick and maybe let uh, Frank uh, end it out. But one, I just want to say Medea Benjamin will actually be talking um, personal testimony of what she saw of the Cold War um, thwarting uh, African liberation struggles. So she was in probably in the 80s, I think, uh, in Africa. And so that's going to be a very important testimony because, as you say, the whole dynamics in Africa right now with us building the largest Air Force base in Niger, in the world, and, you know, everything. So I'm very happy she's going to be highlighting um, Africa. And secondly, uh, about China and being forced into the WTO Part of the reason we, we always say we want China to open their markets. You know, it's a 1.23 billion people open their markets. Me, as an environmental engineer, when I hear that, what I know we're saying is we want them to be consumers. And we cannot be shoving consumption down any nation's throat. China consumes six times less than we do. Huh. We want them to be like us. So, again, it's a development model, uh, you know, of, of mass consumption, and, and it's it's had its day in court.
1: <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I want to thank both of you. We have two or three minutes. I didn't go to the lines. I'm sorry I didn't. I wanted to make sure we had more of a chance, uh, but I should have, but I didn't. Um Tell us again. Let's focus again on how making sure everybody gets there. So you're going to go on codepink.org, and there you're going to see the Cold War T- Truth Commission. There'll be a link. Even I could do that. You link on there, and isn't it also the link on the emails that you and uh, Frank and Rachel have been uh, handing out, or aren't the? Isn't the link on what you sent, Frank?
3: Yes, the link's on there to register. On the e- email I've been sending around to you and everybody, and we're getting all the groups that are sponsoring it, Code Pink and uh, like I said, World Beyond War and Roots Action, Veterans for Peace is involved. They're all sending it out to their list, so we're getting. We already have over 500 RCPs, and it's only Tuesday today, so we're hoping to get a thousand or more. And
1: people well, I think you and will.
3: And once again, just like you said, if you go Google Code Pink Cold War Truth Commission, you go right. It will take you right to the link to register. And if we get too full uh, on Zoom, people can watch it on YouTube uh, live, and then it will be on YouTube forever after to watch. And um, I did want to say somebody I didn't mention who's going to be one of our testifiers is Joel Andreas, who is the author of Addicted to War, which we haven't mentioned yet, but that's the book this book that I've been publishing since 2002 it's a comic book history of US foreign policy you know it's very popular out there people know about it all over the country and that's our country is addicted to war and that's my website by the way is addictedtowar.com and um but it just uh thank you Eric for having us on thank you for what you've been doing your whole life going way back to you must been in your urge didn't you not go to jail didn't you weren't you put in prison
1: yeah i was um I organized a demonstration against the Harvard Center for International Affairs in uh, September of 1969. Uh, I had just come out of the Columbia strike in the spring of 68, and we had gone after the Institute for Defense Analyses, and we wanted to highlight the role of war criminals hiding on college campuses. So the um, Harvard Center for International Affairs was the home of Henry Henry. Kissinger and many other mass murderers so I organized a a demonstration that Howard Zinn would define as nonviolent in that we spray-painted the material we knocked over desks we uh, yelled death to US imperialism Uh, this is a center for mass murder the Center for International Affairs should get out of Harvard and um, we did not injure any people, and that's what Howard said, is that not nonviolence does not mean you can't use force. We used force. But I, uh, as I always say, if you asked me what did I think was going to happen, I was too busy organizing the demonstration, but I ended up uh, spending a year and a half in prison and uh, 40 days in solitary confinement for an action that I didn't think was going to, Uh, get me that sentence, but as they said to me, Eric, it was a very successful demonstration. Congratulations. Uh, You will pay for it, but (laughs) to the degree you picked the right target, we're going to pick you back as the target. So I came out and I worked right away when I came out. Howard Zinn called me up almost uh, two weeks later and said, Eric, did you hear what happened at Attica? I said, no. And he told me, and I immediately began to work on the Attica Brothers Defense Committee and work with the prisoners. I wrote a book about George Jackson, the prisoner. And like both of you, I'm still going.
3: Thank you for all that, Eric. What a history Thank you have. You. Speaking yes. of what some things you said, I mentioned Howard Zinn at the very beginning, and the great Howard Zinn, who wrote the People's History of the United States, and somebody else I hadn't mentioned who's going to be in our program. Written word is going to be from Mumia Abu Jamal and Stephen Victoria uh, reading. We're going to have some students reading from their new ser- three-part series, Murder Incorporated, and um, so we. You know, I wanted to mention that.
2: And I just and I just want to say, in the spirit of democracy and equality, uh, a lot of the lesser names um, or you know lesser-known names, um, just you do not want to miss the stories of these people. You will understand how Europe can have communists and we can't. You will understand the fascist nature of anti-communism in the United States. You'll understand how we need land reform and the crisis of homelessness uh, because of anti-communism. You know, you'll hear that anti-communism goes all the way back to the abolitionist time. If you miss these people, because maybe you don't know their names, you're going to miss these stories and this evidence.
1: Rachel, Rachel and Frank, yeah, I mean, this is terrific. I hope you understand that the Strategy Center is a center for organizing. We're going to take this. We're going to run with it. It's going to stay up on YouTube. Uh, Rachel, what you just said is absolutely right, everything you just said. Uh, I think it's important, rather than pick big names, take an hour or two and just listen to everybody in that hour or two, and then take a break and come back. And the ones you didn't hear, go up on YouTube and hear the, and hear and see the rest. Uh, I'm honored to be part of it. I really deeply, truly appreciate being invited. And um, I'm going to listen very carefully. And uh, folks, as Nina Simone starts singing our way out, let's get the next 500 people to register tonight. So we'll get to our 1,000. Rachel, very nice to just begin to meet you. Uh, Great story. Frank, thank you, as always, for everything. You've been on Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement-building show. You're on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Go on the website, KPFK, and make a contribution now. It's fun drive all the time, 24-7. Thanks, D'Angelo Jones, for keeping me company. Thanks, Vanilla Simone, for keeping me company. All power to the people. Thank you to Jenny Martinez and again. Rachel bark in uh, Frank for everything you've done uh,
0: great appreciation see everybody Sunday and-